Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another edition. I pay a lot of attention to current events, both domestic and global. I consume what I think is a pretty balanced diet of the political and economic landscapes. I'm not saying I don't have my biases, but I do try hard to look at both sides of issues. My daily media consumption would consist of the Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, and MSNBC on the left, and the Wall Street Journal and Fox News on the right. And I pay a lot of attention to uh, sources in the middle. I have found some uh, sources that I really like. Uh, News Nation, which is a new cable outlet, a blog called The Hill, the BBC, the Times of London, Sirius XM POTUS, Politics of the United States channel, that I really like Michael Smirkanish, and there's also Julie Mason, Dan Abrams, and Laura Coates. So you might think (laughs) I spent all my time reading psychological periodicals and research, and I, I do a fair amount of that too. But I'm, I am a financial therapist, and that covers a broad area and a broad knowledge base, right? So I try to keep up on, on uh, politics and economics as it definitely affects the financial side of the equation. So all that said, uh, I sometimes find myself scratching my head in confusion or guffawing and talking back to television screens (laughs) with with parts of me that want to to raise their voice to some of the commentators and, and what they say. A couple of years ago, I had a really respected colleague note that the capitalistic goal of accumulation, consumption, and collection is responsible for a collective mindset in Americans that I consume, therefore I am, and that more is better. He passionately felt that the more is better capitalistic mentality assures a predictable future of dwindling resources, and he's not alone. The idea that capitalism is broken, or capitalism is a, what I want to say, a flawed economic system has been gaining more and more popularity in the last, certainly in the last decade. There's a real emotional calm component to this that I'd like to explore today. Because according to, to my colleagues' views that uh, more is better is capitalistic men- mentality, and assures that resources will be dwindling in the future. 
is um, certainly hitting on identifying our self-worth with our net worth and identifying our self-worth by status. And we've talked a lot about money status scripts. Identifying ourselves by what we accumulate or spend. And it's true that that doesn't produce emotional, physical, or financial well-being. Those who embrace a money script of, I consume, therefore I am, are likely to eventually encounter financial and emotional pain. Either they're going to run out of money to spend, or lack products to buy, or discover the futility of trying to use money and possessions as a substitute for genuine self-worth, for satisfying the needs of belonging and love and connection. And of course, these things are not going to do that. And we know that there's parts of ourselves that are seeking after these things in order to help, to help those vulnerable parts of ourselves that feel so wounded because we don't have that. And of course, I'm talking more in IFS language right now. What I found curious was my colleague's attribution of the money script, more is better, as being a product of capitalism. That money script's been around a lot longer than capitalism, which, according to Investopedia, originated during the Middle Ages when a variety of factors, including a labor shortage caused by the Black Plague, the collapse of their uh, manorial system, uh, things like that were happening. And more is better was a, a part of the human condition earlier than the Middle Ages. For example, in the Hebrew scriptures, Clastes uh, 5.10 says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Greed, whether for money or food or anything else, is not produced by an economic model. Whether people live under a capitalistic, socialistic, or communist system, or in a Stone Age tribal group, greed is alive and well in all of them. Every human being experiences it in some way and on some lev level. It um, actually has been considered one of the seven deadly sins since the early days of the Christian church. Again, long before the capitalistic model ever came into being. Something that caught my attention recently was uh, when I was watching CNN, the anchor leading into the story suggested that capitalists cashed in on the pandemic and were responsible for the deaths of thousands of Americans. And the, and the story was about a, a man named Robert Stewart, who in 2020 received a $3.4 million contract, which was a no-bid government contract, to supply 6 million N95 masks to the VA. The anchor interviewed a reporter by the name of David McSwain with ProPublica, 
who followed the case of Robert Stewart. And Stewart was a first-time vendor. He had never sold or manufactured an N95 mask. And one could conclude from the anchor's lead-in of this story that perhaps he took the $34.5 million and delivered substandard, low-quality masks uh, that didn't supply the manufacturing standards required and thereby profited on the potential deaths of thousands of Americans because they use these substandard masks. Well, that wasn't the case. Upon listening to the interview and then doing some additional research, I discovered this wasn't a story about capitalism gone wrong, but fraud. Apparently, Stewart never delivered to any masks to anyone and never collected the $34.5 million. But what he did do was defraud the S SBA of $805,000 in PPP loan money. The EIDL program of the SBA, he uh, frauded that for $261,000 and frauded the VA of $74,000 in medical and educational benefits. For all of that, he, he pleaded guilty. None of that had a thing to do with his being awarded a $34.5 million contract for masks and nothing to do with an example of profiteering from the pandemic. And I got thinking about this. I thought, you know, even if Stewart had really owned a mask manufacturing company and had actually supplied substandard, low-quality masks, this story would still not be about capitalism gone wrong, but fraud and corruption, criminal offenses that had nothing to do with capitalism. Behind the fraud, we find greed. And behind the greed, there can be a lot of things. There can be parts of ourselves that are FOMO, fear of missing out. What's behind that? What's behind that can be protectors, protector parts of us, scrambling to get things, to get, in most cases, of course, money, taking advantage of other people to get that money, um, usually, not all the times doing it dishonestly, but, but a huge focus on that. And, and the focus is that the money is going to solve the problem. And what's the problem? The problem is a real vulnerable part of us that is in pain from not having connection, not having belonging, early traumas that happen. And the protector has this belief, this protector part of us, that if I can supply it with these things, uh, then that it'll be okay. It will not be in pain. It will keep it from being in pain. Now, I would guess that we could go far deeper on what greed is, but it is a condition, a human condition. Capitalism, as defined by Webster, is an economic system characterized by private or corporate ownership of capital goods, by investments that are determined by private decision and by pieces production 
and the distribution of goods that are determined mainly by competition in a free market. There is nothing in that definition about greed or any goals of accumulating consumption and collecting. So, according to capitalism is a method of distributing limited resources in the most efficient manner possible, where the dynamics of the free market and, and uh, dynamics of competition drive down prices and improve quality. I don't find any other economic system that delivers this outcome. In fact, systems controlled by central planning have a track record of producing the opposite. Economies where shortages prevail and those in charge prosper on the back, backs of, of masses. So, certainly, there are business owners and wealthy people who are greedy, who are selfish, who are materialistic, because these folks are found in every walk of life. They're not tied to any particular economic system. They are tied to the human condition. They're signs of people who are trying to satisfy spiritual and emotional needs, trying to satisfy their, their need for belonging and connection, trying to satisfy traumas that have happened in their life with material things that can never meet those goals. Because one of the qualities that helps people create financial security is frugality. I actually agree with my colleague that excess consumption is often destructive and can be a genuine problem. But blaming it on capitalism does nothing to offer any real solutions. So as I said, in increasingly in the U.S. it's becoming more socially acceptable, perhaps even fashionable, to be anti-wealth and anti-capitalism. But even identifying as a socialist is no longer the dominion of the far left, but gaining a lot of, of popularity because of these misconceptions. According to, to uh, research that I found, uh, younger Americans are souring on capitalism and, and don't find the label socialist scary or demeaning. Interesting, the meanings I see thrown around for socialism and capitalism rarely agree with the traditional definitions. We talked about confirmation bias in a podcast where person goes searching for the things that will support what they personally think is true. And we see a lot of this in here, in this distrust of capitalism and this embracing of socialism. For example, uh, some self-proclaimed socialists call for higher taxes on the rich, more funding for massive infrastructure improvements and expanding social welfare programs. We heard Medicare for all thrown around a lot. Now, these are not necessarily socialism, but rather in an expansion of social programs. There's a big difference. Socialism is an economic 
system in which the means of production and distribution of goods are owned and controlled collectively by the government. It's characterized by production for use rather than profit, equality of individual wealth and incomes, the absence of competitive economic activity. And uh, it's where the government uh, determines uh, the levels of investment, prices, and production levels. A truly socialistic economy has no privately owned business. Since all businesses are, are government owned, there's no competitive force serving to improve services or drive down prices. Prices aren't set competitively, but by government policy. Everyone is economically equal with no rich or no poor, at least in theory. In practicality, that is never the case. There's always the uber-rich, which are typically the people running the government, and the uber-poor, which is typically everybody else. So embracing increased taxes on fossil fuels and more government spending for health care or green initiatives is not inherently a call for a socialistic economy, as some politicians try to, to make us believe. It's a call for bigger government and placing more restrictions on free enterprise, which could be a step toward socialism, but it is not socialism. For example, the Scandinavian countries have massive social pro programs, yet they're not socialistic economies. Their systems allow for free markets and the private ownership of business, meaning their social programs are funded by capitalism and free enterprise. I could just go through a, a lot more on this. You know, we just haven't seen a a society that successfully tried real socialism. Countries that have tempted it, according to Forbes, are China, Cambodia, Cuba, East Germany, Ethiopia, North Korea, uh, Poland, Romania, the USSR, maybe we would say today Russia, since the USSR dissolved, and Venezuela. Even though many of them have abandoned socialism, the effects are long-lasting. So, you know, why am I talking about this? I think I've, I've brought in the emotional impact of this, of what's behind the mistaken uh, view of both what socialism and capitalism are and at the heart of what we really rail against is really greed. But we're not railing against greed. We're railing against capitalism. And when I say we, it's typically the, uh, the media. So I don't think that uh, capitalism is broken. Again, many who claim that capitalism doesn't work don't understand capitalism. So that's the key. Who's a capitalist? Well, you may be a capitalist. A capitalist is the wealthy owner of a large, successful business. That's a capitalist. But so is a self-employed person who cleans houses for a living. A freelanced artist offering works for sale but finding few buyers is a capitalist. So is a teenager earning money during the summer by mowing neighbors' lawns. 
No matter their level of financial success, they're all operating competitive, free enterprise businesses. So I think I'm going to, to leave it there. Got to look under. What's behind? What's behind my fear of capitalism or behind my inability to look deeper into the definitions? What are the emotions that are operating that um, where I may think somebody that earning is earning money or making a profit is uh, greedy and uh, defective and broken? and a bad human being. What's in it with me? What are the vulnerable parts that are really up, really hurt about that? What are their histories? So I hope maybe I've, uh, if you find yourself thinking some of these things, helped to encourage you to take a look deeper in the same way that um, you may be up in arms about socialism and the expansion of government programs. What, what are the emotions behind that? What are the needs within yourself that are not being met? What's the fear? Okay, thanks for joining. Look forward to talking with you next week. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.